the Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined, as is the custom, by the renowned international speaker and expert of all things with uh, teams and communication and everything, my good friend, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? Wonderful, Christian, and good to be with you today. You know, and I, uh, you're the international man. I mean, you live practically in Switzerland. <laughs> well, not these days. Uh, like you, no. I mean, we're all uh, sequestered here in our homes, uh, um, not able to travel. And I just got word from the ISC last week that uh, my travel for the rest of the year is done. Uh, so everything that I'll be doing with the International Olympic Committee will be done remotely. So I may not even be getting on a plane the rest of this year. How do you feel, how do you feel about that? A bit bittersweet, actually, um, because I love being home, but I also enjoy getting out and seeing people face-to-face, and it's a little bit more difficult in these challenging times. Even though Zoom and other uh, technologies are quite helpful to allow us to see each other, um, I still do miss that uh, in-person interaction face-to-face. You know, being home, it's great because we have a little more time with, with family. And my son, I don't know if I've, I've said this in the past, but my son, Sam, he found this system. I, I think I told you about the uh, uh, all the Marvel movies chronologically we've been watching. We finally finished that. And so on Monday, we started something new and we watched Hamilton. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see that on Disney+. Plus. But uh, we just watched that on the, the original cast. We saw it. I've seen it live twice. I actually love it live better, but it was really, really cool to see Hamilton with the original cast. I haven't watched it. My daughter watched it last week and she loved it, but I haven't had the opportunity to watch it yet, but I definitely have it on my list. And speaking of the weekend, um, did you do anything fun for the 4th? We did. We, gosh, we had a, a, an interesting 4th of July. We, my, um, my second daughter invited us down to Provo, Utah, so they have that, you know, stadium of fire every year. And of course, no one could go to the stadium. So they, they actually made the fireworks like 1500 feet or twice as high as they normally go. So people could stay at home and watch those. But we went down there in, in the afternoon. My, my wife and I went for a hike in the morning with my son and then took a little relaxing nap. And then we went down and we made homemade sushi, uh, homemade, um, Oh my gosh! I'm, I'm, uh, it's uh, what's that fried uh, Japanese? I'm going crazy. I, I can't even think. Uh, tempura. Uh, tempura. Yes, we made homemade tempura and mochi. She, my daughter, made ice cream homemade mochi. So we had this Japanese. And we're going to talk about food with our guest here in a second, but we had this really interesting Japanese uh, homemade dinner, and it was fabulous for Fourth of July. It was very strange. No better way to celebrate an all-American holiday than with Japanese food. Exactly. What did you do? Uh, we had a very low key. We actually had American food. We 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 barbecued burgers in the backyard, and uh, we just had a low key uh, low key time here with our with our media family. So it was it was good. Uh, we didn't do any fireworks. Um, we did walk out the front door and gaze a few minutes at the fireworks that some of the neighbors were doing. But uh, yeah, we just had a nice relaxing holiday weekend. 
Well, that that's great, and and uh, so that topic actually, I want to hear what it was like in California for the Fourth of July. So we're going to introduce our guest. Yes, please do, Spencer. She's been waiting patiently. I know she's in there. I'm so excited to introduce our, our guest today. Her name is Hadil Penalvert, and she's coming to us from Tustin, California, uh, Orange County, California. And welcome, Hadil. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Great. So before I introduce all of your bona fides, tell me, tell us about what was it like to celebrate the 4th of July? I think Governor Newsom said, you know, no, no celebrations in California. Is that right? Yeah, they closed the beach right before 4th of July. I think they were anticipating that people were going to be all over the place. Uh, I personally, so I, I'm, uh, I'm three months pregnant and I stayed home just to be a little bit more careful. Um, but we have a pool. Uh, we definitely had some Lebanese food. I talk about food, you got me hungry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have a pool. We just relaxed a little bit, my husband and I, and just uh, a couple of, you know, two other people. Um, but yeah, it was just pretty relaxing. It was very different than every year. I can tell you that. Very different. Yes. So tell us some of the Lebanese, because I, I, I know you're originally from Lebanon. Is that right, Hadil? Yes. And so tell us what your favorite, because Christian and I love all kinds of food. We love Middle Eastern food. We love all kinds. So what's your favorite Lebanese food? And, I, and I've got a list of some that I like. <laughs> so there's uh, in, in Lebanon, there's what you call, so Lebanese dinners and lunch, uh, literally they last for three to four hours uh, and you have at first the mesa so it's everything from the tabbouleh to the hummus to all of the little things uh, i would say definitely one of my favorite dishes it's a cinnamon rice i know it sounds a little weird <laughs> but it's a it's a rice that they put cinnamon in it uh, and a lot of other spices and it has like ground beef and then you make some chicken on the side uh, definitely this is one of my favorite that i'm actually craving right now um, and then there's a uh, grape leaves. Uh, they roll it with some, uh, I think you might have seen the version is a little sour maybe. Uh, you see it in the store. Um, but it's, they rolled with some rice and a uh, little meat inside and then you cook it for a couple of hours. My grandma is the best at this, but she is far away right now. So I've been, I've been, uh, I've been asking my mom to make it recently. So that sounds delightful, Christian. How about you? Are you hungry for some of that? <laughs> yeah, I think we should just end the podcast now and go have some falafel and baba ganoush and whatever else you got on your list. I'm all all for it, 100%. Have you ever had like uh, kibbeh, that sauteed pine nuts? Yes, really good. Kibbeh. So kibbeh is in the meza, right? This is what you get at the beginning in the first couple of hours of the, of the lunch. A <laughs> couple hours, right? Then you've got like manakish, which is like your Lebanese pizza. Yes, uh, this, is, this is a breakfast. My husband is obsessed with it. Uh, you know, we used to have American brunch and now every Sunday he's like, hey, let's go have some manayish, you know. Um, <laughs> so I said it completely wrong, but uh, I like kafta, which is that lamb or beef meatballs. And, and uh, of course, you mentioned hummus. Who doesn't like like that? And then there's another salad, fatouche salad, a little yeah. different than tabbouleh. You. you know, all of the Lebanese foods, I'm impressed. <laughs> the Team Performance Podcast. Well, we, we, we like to get out and, and have different things, but so we're so excited to have you. I just want to tell um, the individuals listening to us a little bit about you, and you are a clinical social worker, and you completed your master's in this at USC in 2016, and Hadil, you have worked with all kinds of different populations throughout your career, specializing 
in working with women and children and trauma-informed care, right? And, and that's something that I'm really excited about, Christian, because, you know, we're, as we talk about team performance, you know, individuals are being impacted right now by being isolated, uh, just the, the, the social distancing, the th working from home. You know, some of us are like, wow, this is great. But long term, we're going to talk about some of the impacts that this has, this this uh, isolation has on our mental health. And so we're going to get to that. But she's currently, you're the, the clinical coordinator at Laura's house. That's how I actually met you. I was speaking at Laura's house, which is an agency that provides services to domestic violence survivors. And you personally oversee the clinical department and you manage a team uh, of, of six people and you work with the therapists the, the, that are in Laura's house. Is that correct? All yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you have worked and volunteered internationally and in the U.S. with women and children. And Christian, she is passionate about mental health. When I had a talk with her, she was very excited to, to really talk about, you know, resilience and, and what helps us to, to be able to be resilient in these hard times. And um, basically, she when she takes when she has an opportunity to help people, she does. I mean, she's all about social justice and she never misses a chance to, to lead the way, whether it's motivating others or supporting them and reaching their goals. And so I'm really excited to hear her perspective as someone who, who's lived in the United States for many years, been through the education system here, lived in Africa, born and raised in Lebanon. And I, I'm really excited to, to hear what you have to say today. Thank you, Christian, and thank you, uh, Spencer. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm really honored to be on the podcast with both of you. Thank you. So can you start off? I think the best thing that I would like for you to just, just kind of, well, let me back up. What got you into this social working and, and mental health and, and social justice? What was it that attracted you to this, this field? Um, so I grew up in Africa, right? I'm, I'm Lebanese, but I grew up in Africa for, for probably, I would say, anywhere between 12 to 14 years, if I remember. And, um, you know, seeing a lot of the injustice and a lot of, um, you know, poverty and a lot of people that don't have access to, um, you know, just education, resources and all of that. Uh, but then when I was in high school, um, you know, I just started thinking a little bit about what I want to do and I kept on coming back to something that I wanted to be fulfilling and I wanted to have a purpose. So I wanted my career to be aligned with what I think were my values and my purpose. Um, and, you know, everyone kept on telling me, well, you don't make a lot of money in the field, you know, which is very true. You don't make a lot of money when you work in the field, but it just... It just kept on going back to, I do not want to be stuck in a nine to five job where I feel like I'm miserable. I want to show up every day and feel like I'm making a difference. And I've always been very into, um, you know, social justice issue and just advocating for people. Um, so it took me, it was, it was a long way until I get there, but I did different. Um, I work with special needs kids and then I get into social work when I moved to the state because, um, I went to French schools all of my life and it didn't have my major. So I looked into, okay, what is it that I can get into that could give me the tools uh, to be there in the community and you know provide resources to people and be there to support them. Uh, so it's a really rewarding and fulfilling job, definitely. And um, you know, I been I would say up to now, it's been maybe on, I'm on my 10th year and it's really every year is different. And I don't think I have gone through a phase where I feel like, okay, well, this is not for me. You know, it's interesting that you talk about loving what you do. 
and money, when we research what motivates people, money is like fourth on the list. And I just wrote, I just published an article today called Love What You Do. And it's so great to hear that that's something that you do because I think that's important to mental health when we have challenges and, and there's always going to be things that we don't like to do at work. And I'm sure there's things that you deal with right now that are frustrating and hard, but when you love it, ultimately that helps you get through those challenging times and maybe not earning as much. Right. Yeah. 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 Burnout is a big thing. I think in our fields too, because, you know, being helping people and giving all the time can be, um, you know, you can have your cup can be empty at one point. So it's really important to really take care of yourself. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think we all have our moments where we feel like, okay, this is maybe getting a little too much or I'm having a hard day. Um, but when you get out of work, there's always that sense and that feeling of, okay, I did something today for someone or for the community or for anyone. I made a difference. And sometimes it's not by doing anything, you know, for a lot of our classes, just by being there for them, just having that safe space for them to be themselves and be able to express themselves. Well, before we get into the topics, I just have to ask a quick question. Whereabouts in Africa did you live for 12 or 14 years? I, it's in West Africa. It's called Ivory Coast. And actually, my dad still lives there, so he comes and goes. But uh, it's really, uh, it's very different. Definitely very, very different than here. <laughs> the Team Performance Podcast. So one of the things that I was interested in, because you work at Laura's house, um, you know, I've, I've had some experience with working with uh, women's crisis centers. I've had uh, challenges with um, people that I know personally with domestic violence. I currently sit as an advisory board member for an organization called the Shiro Foundation, which helps support young women and girls who are victims of abuse, neglect, uh, sex trafficking. And, and my, my question to you as we, you know, as we get started and talking about this is, have you seen an, an increase in need for shelter, for protection? Because it would seem like as, you know, we're, we're forced to be together, people are not working, economic hardship, that instances of, of domestic abuse and, and violence may actually be increasing or people are more stressed now than, they, than they've ever been. What are you seeing and noticing right now, Hadil? There's definitely has been an increase since the COVID has happened because you know, people are stuck at home together. Um, and then there's really no way for you to just have any type of little freedom that was maybe that you had before. Um, so we've, we've definitely had a big increase in our calls to the hotline uh, about people just wanting services and wanting some support. I feel like the shelter situation has been a little bit tricky because of the COVID. Um, you know, before they get into shelter, they have to get into a safety net house and then stay there for a couple of days and kind of be cleared before they get into shelter. Um, and then also there's this uncertainty, right, about these times right now, like economic, schools, and a lot of the other things. So it's already hard for people to leave when there is, you know, things are kind of normal. And, you know, I don't know what's normal nowadays, but it's, it's making it a little harder right now to get uh, for them to leave. But they're asking a lot of counseling. We're doing, doing a lot of counseling. Uh, we've been doing a lot of safety planning, uh, which is preparing them for any incidents that might happen or anything, how, what can they have ready if they need to leave and all of this. So we're doing much more of that and a lot of crisis interventions and crisis support 
but there's also been, uh, you know, a lot of people that have left recently, um, whether they went into a shelter or just left in general their relationship, uh, which is pretty awesome to, to see because it takes a lot of courage and bravery to leave, um, you know, relationship that you're in uh, with all the dynamics of abuse is, is very complicated. Well, that takes me to a question. And when people are together for a long time, maybe the opportunities to reach out for help, they might be a little bit more limited because they're around each other all the time. And so it's, it might be a bit more challenging to find a, a safe place to reach out from. So um, have you, in your experience here with COVID, seen any of that where people have had a more difficult time reaching out because they're just around that unsafe situation all the time because their significant other or whoever, uh, a parent or spouse, uh, uh, a relative is yeah. just in the house all the time. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's different kind of techniques or uh, ways to do that. Uh, well, first we have people that are not comfortable at all reaching out on the phone because, you know, people have their phone tapped or their emails. Um, they're, you know, the partner is checking um, all of these. Uh, what we've been doing is we've been using uh, Google numbers. Uh, so when you call, it doesn't go, it doesn't show this Laura's house, it doesn't show anything. But we always ask the clients, is that a safe number? Or can you go somewhere uh, in the car, maybe pretend you're going to get groceries and call us? Can you uh, go to your you know, mom or your family or a friend um, just for that one hour to be able to talk to us? But definitely it has been challenging. We have put some rules in place, like for example, uh, for the confidentiality and safety of you know, when they're doing group, uh, if there is anything that happens, just drop them out of the call. Uh, so we're being a little more extra careful. There's definitely precautions that we're taking more, but for some of our clients, it has been very difficult. As soon as they know that they can't come into the office, it's like, okay, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. Uh, we also teach them how to secure their phones. This is part of safety planning. Uh, so how to maybe, you know, make it a little more secure so the partner can know who they're talking to or what has been going on or where did they go to. How do you do that? I mean, share that with our, our listeners that maybe are concerned and, you know, how do they reach out? Because this is a serious issue. I mean, people that are, you know, those of you who are listening to us today, if, you know, you're in a situation where you're being threatened and that's a high likelihood because apparently According to the World Health Organization, one in three women is a victim of, of abuse by a, an intimate partner or someone that's close to them. Is that a, a fairly accurate number? Yeah, and it's, it's really any type of socioeconomic status. You know, it doesn't really differentiate between anyone, uh, ethnicities or socioeconomic status. It's, it's really everywhere. The Team Performance Podcast. So, I mean, so tell them, I mean, what, what, if, if, if you're listening to this and you're in a situation where you're unsafe, I mean, what, what can, what can she do? Uh, so they can call the hotline if they go to the Laura's house website, and this is where maybe putting their page as private when they're looking up for these stuff. So they don't stick in the search history uh, calling and then, you know, erasing the number after but even if the partner calls us our or we call our numbers are blocked so they can't see who's calling. Uh, and we always make sure if we know that it's high 
uh, risk with the client. Maybe there's a word that we, you know, agree on at first or just a couple of little things. But the first step I would say is just to make the call and then we try to figure out from there, okay, how do we safety plan? What do we need to do? Because I think every case is different too. Uh, like you'll see some more people that have more support. This is when we tell them maybe go to someone's house or, you know, pretend to go walk your kids at the park or go to the grocery stores and then give us a call. And then from there, we try to plan accordingly and see what we can do to make that person, um, you know, to, to keep them safe. Uh, well, I know the you, no, that's it. Yeah. I, know you, I know your IT services are very careful about anything that's coming in to your company because I've emailed you and nothing I send you ever gets through because it's everything that comes from me is blocked. <laughs> yes, we're very careful about that. Oh, that's great. Um, so, sorry, Christian, I'm, I'm going to throw it back over to you. Do you have a, a question? Yes, I do have a question. And the question is, how, you know, in addition to these measures, which having the private block numbers and whatnot, I mean, fear is such a powerful driver of behavior and fear can keep people from reaching out. And so it sounds to me like what you're doing here is trying to, trying to provide people with sufficient confidence to actually overcome that fear. In addition to some of these, you know, technical things, private browsing, uh, block numbers, uh, what advice do you give people to help them overcome their fear and find the strength, the internal strength to actually reach out? You know, I think everyone is ready at a different timing. I think the most important thing for us therapists at Laura's house and, you know, all of the staff that works with, directly with clients is to let the client know that they have the choice to back off if they make that first call, right? So we don't force anyone to stay in the program. We don't tell people, oh, you have to leave or you have to do that. This is a personal choice. And really, it's really hard to make decisions. People have to make decisions for themselves. Um, but, you know, going back to that kind of sense of community, when they get into one of our groups and they meet other women um, that have been going through the same thing, there's that confidence that builds up a little bit of, okay, because people are at different stages in these groups. Some have already left. Some are still in the relationship. Some have still hope that the relationship is going to work out at one point. Uh, but hearing other people and being with other people that have similar, um, you know, not exactly the same, but similar experiences, it gives you that confidence to make your own decision and to be like, okay, this is something I want to continue or not. Um, so definitely, I would say just, you know, that making that first call and knowing that even if you make that first call, it doesn't mean that you have to stick with, you know, going through the program or doing any of that. Well, thank you. I mean, those are important things that we're, that we need to know and, and understand for people who may be anyone, if you are experiencing that, what, what, there's so many options available to you. And, and Laura's house is not just in, in California and Los Angeles. It's, it's, it's in many places around the United States. I, I would like to though, as we talk about team performance, you know, members of, of, your team that you work with, you have direct reports. Um, we have people that are listening right now that are managing, they're working from home. They are, you know, just struggling right now. I just had a conversation with uh, a very successful recruiter yesterday. She's amazing and, and she does very, very well for herself. And business is good. And of course, she's been pivoting during these times, but she's in high demand, but really struggling mentally just with the with the isolation and 
all of the, the separation, you know, not being able to meet with clients or being with friends. And I have lots, you know, Christian, you and I have talked about how supposedly extroverts are doing better during this time. I don't know as that research goes on, if that's going to hold up because a lot of them that I'm talking to are really starting to struggle with uh, just feeling resilient and, and being able to get up and, and attack the day with your experience in mental health. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you're seeing and maybe some things that would help? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think going, going back to what you said about extroverts, I think, you know, from what I've noticed and, you know, a lot of people have been around, I think even introverts are struggling at this point too. Uh, because, you know, I think as human beings, we're, we're, we're born to be, to live in community and to be around people. And, you know, at first it worked for some people because you're like, oh, you know, some people thrive in a specific environment, which is maybe their element is being at home, right? Uh, but when it becomes two months and three months and four months and there's that unknown, right? I think it's really uh, putting a lot of stress on people and just the isolation is creating a lot of um, anxiety and, and depression. Um, what we've done, and you know, again, we, we, we as, when we work with a team of therapists, um, the good thing is everyone wants that deeper connection because that's what we do also, right? Um, it was really hard because what we do is between sessions, we kind of talk to each other about our clients or what's going on, or, hey, I have this, do you have any feedback or, you know, is there any interventions that you're using? Um, so it was really difficult at first, but, you know, finding ways to stay connected, um, like specifically at Laura's house, they've done happy hours with specific themes where everyone can kind of come in and just feel connected. Uh, for us, the therapists, we have like a group text where we've been uh, texting each other constantly about, you know, sometimes it's just jokes. Sometimes it's just, you know, asking, hey, like, you know, this is what's going on with me. Uh, sharing interventions and we've been trying to you know now um, I think now we're transitioning a little bit back to the office but when we were not seeing each other at all uh, we were trying to do happy hours on Friday at the end of um, the week on Friday at five just to talk a little bit about what's going on during the week and stay connected I definitely feel like it's different than just being there with the people um, there is something, I mean, technology is great. We can, you know, just like you're in Utah and I'm in California right now, and we can, um, you know, we can be on the, on the same platform together, um, but really trying to find ways to stay connected. Uh, stay connected through maybe FaceTime, through these group messages, um, talking a little bit more. I think you have to put a little bit more effort when you don't see people because, uh, because you're, you're completely not physically together. And just, you know, I think also being really supportive a little bit extra than usual, like, you know, hey, are you doing okay? How is your caseload going? How is your week going? Is there anything coming up? Um, you know, especially in our field, because we talk a lot about these things within each other, because while well, we can't share stuff with other people because of confidentiality. The Team Performance Podcast. Talk about, Hadil, you were, you know, when it comes to mental health, what is the impact that you're seeing just of, of society here in the United States and, and, and maybe what you've experienced that, that, uh, that we can do differently or maybe what some other cultures are doing to be able to support each other during these, these challenging times when we're isolated? How does how we live as Americans maybe add to this mental health crisis that we're experiencing? 
You know, I, I definitely feel like people have been uh, increasingly anxious and depressed, especially that it's taking even longer. Now there's rumors that, you know, maybe there's going to be another lockdown. Um, it's, it's taking too long. So people are isolating a little bit more. Uh, you know, there's, we've seen a, a, an increase in substance abuse because while you're home, you're kind of in that environment, you're isolated. And it's a, it's a, it's a way to numb really what's going on. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly, I would say in terms of what other cultures are doing, because I feel like every country right now is dealing differently with how the COVID is going. Uh, but definitely I've, what I've seen really help is people kind of gather outdoors, right? And a really small group of people just be outdoors and keep that social distancing maybe, uh, but still be able to get out. Getting outdoors is really for mental health has been proven uh, in a lot of research that being outdoors and just being in the sun or, you know, um, just, just not being inside. I feel like we're in boxes all the time in the office, in the car, you know, there's always that inside. Uh, so getting outdoor really has been helping with depression and anxiety. Um, but also finding creative ways to stay connected, right? Just talking a little bit more. Um, and again, I feel like everyone is, you know, comfortable with different things at this point. Some people are really scared about, you know, seeing other people. Some people are maybe a little bit open to seeing some specific people that they uh, regularly see. But getting outdoors, staying connected, um, and putting that effort. Because what happens is the more you get depressed or anxious, the more you want to isolate, right? And it's counterintuitive to want to connect, to want to reach out. Uh, but forcing ourselves in these moments because it always feels good after reaching out. There's not a time where you feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, so really making it a point to reach out to specific people throughout the week that you know you can get support from um, and getting outdoors, I wouldn't say that it's really, really important, definitely. So I 100% agree with the outdoors. I've always felt that. I, my exercise routine has been mountain biking and trail running and because I, I just have to get outside. And I find that all kinds of ideas come to me. It's very productive and I just, I always feel great, whether it's raining, whether it's sun shining, even in the snow, just getting out and being outside is so cathartic and, and has been wonderful for me personally. Christian, you're going to come up and go running with me or I can come down to, to you and we'll go up, we'll go up in the mountains. And... I will walk with you more than happy to do that <laughs> running i'll go i gotta work up to that one a little bit but yeah i'd be more well than running nice it is that's a relative term running it's it's more like uh loping uh no well not uh, slow jogging <laughs> <laughs> and humor definitely humor you know i think these are very stressful times and I'm a big believer in humor and i think it it just you know it just makes things different so joking about the situation um, you know, just, just making, making things just a little bit lighter because it is pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy being isolated. Uh, and, you know, especially on kids too. I mean, kids are not used to being home without their friends and without going to school. So, uh, you know, trying just little things that feels counterintuitive, like, oh, I don't want to reach out to someone because I don't feel good, but it will feel good. The Team Performance Podcast. I appreciate the humor comment because not only are we feeling isolated, but there's an incredible amount of contention uh, here specifically in the United States uh, for political reasons. And we also have the nexus of the virus with uh, a lot of social unrest. And so the atmosphere is a bit supercharged. And 
that's really antithetical to high team performance because for teams to perform at a high level, they need to be united uh, toward a common goal. So in, in your experience, Hadil, um, you know, aside from humor, which I think is a great idea and getting outdoors, how, how can we try to reduce the amount of contention that uh, we see in our lives and try to build some sense of unity when we're all isolated? Yeah, I think, you know, going back to that sense of community, again, when you don't have that physical presence, it's really maybe difficult to feel connected. Uh, but, you know, continuing to, who are the people in your community that you feel you have common interests or that you can talk to freely? Um, I feel definitely finding the people that can offer safe space and non-judgment. Uh, there's been people get really judgmental, especially when there's a lot of emotions that are high. Um, so trying to connect with people that offers that non-judgmental space, um, you know, definitely trying to find that community. Uh, when you find that community, you feel no matter where you are, uh, like for me, I still feel connected to my community back in Lebanon, to my friends. I talk to them very often. And, you know, now I was supposed to go this summer, but again, I think just like you, I'm probably not getting on a plane uh, for the next couple of months. But, you know, talking about things that, these the similar interests, the similar vision, kind of sharing all of this uh, and staying connected to people, despite how difficult it's getting to do that. I feel like at the beginning, people were really excited also, like with all the Zooms and FaceTime, and the more time is passing by, you're seeing also a decrease in motivation for that. Um, because you thought it was, you know, people thought it was temporary, but then it's it's kind of still going on. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I see that with kids and students, they're just like sick of classrooms and, and Zoom. They want to be together. They want to they connect. And, and I think it's, Right. I mean, I, a lot of companies are, and I think we're going to talk about this in more detail in a, in a future podcast. A lot of companies are are going virtual and it's good and it's going to be a challenge because we lose that sense of, of community. It's, it takes more work. It takes more energy and effort. And you, and you actually articulated that very well. And I, and I agree with that. Um, I actually, for a time I had you know, four or five people in the Philippines that were a part of my team. Like I said, we'll talk about that later, but it takes a lot of work to actually feel connected to them, to stay connected to them, to make sure that they're on track, what they're doing, what, what we need them to do. Um, and so I, I get it. There's almost a rebellion right now where people don't want to be on, on these electronic devices. They want to be together. And, and I think and I want you to talk about that because I feel like, you know, as Americans, we're a society that, you know, a lot, very individualistic, right? Do what you want to do, go where you want to go, just everybody kind of doing their, their own thing. And, and I, I don't know, maybe we've had the society has allowed us to be able to do that because we've had a, some form of connection. But now that that's, that's been taken away from us, you know, there's a, there's a need to really to get to, to back to our roots to connect more as as a society and as as a people. Yeah, I, you know, I definitely think when when you're giving choice, right? If I have the choice to see you or not see you, then I can make the choice to do that. Uh, but when I'm forced not to, uh, then it's completely taken away. There's kind of this withdrawal after a while, right? And this is what I was saying even about introverts. Now I'm a I know this sounds really weird, but I'm an introvert myself. And, you know, I love enjoying time by myself, especially 
with what I do is I give all weekend. I'm there for people, right? So when the weekend comes, there's more of that feeling of wanting to just be by myself or just do some activities that are, you know, very relaxing and just doesn't involve a lot of people. Um, and let me tell you, the first month or two, I was pretty happy because, you know, now I didn't have plans that were, okay, I have to attend this birthday. I have to do that. I have to see these friends to, to stay connected. Uh, but it's starting to get really hard because you want to be around people. And again, it's human nature, right? Uh, whether we like it or not, we are born to live in communities and to be with other people. And now it's starting to feel like, okay, it's, it's been a long time, right? And we don't have the choice. Uh, so having that choice taken away, I think is, is really creating these withdrawals, definitely. The Team Performance Podcast. Adil, I'd like to come back to something you said a few moments ago, and that was the idea of um, surrounding yourself with people that have common interests and people that you feel that you can talk to in a non-judgmental way where you can feel safe. Um, and I totally agree with that. One of the, uh, what would I say, one of the challenges I think with that is that sometimes I find myself um, inadvertently entering an echo chamber that drives up anger and anxiety where you know, we are, we have common agreement on things that are not going well. And we just start talking about all the things that are going to pot in the world. And pretty soon I feel worse than I did at the beginning, even though these people are my friends and we do have some common interests. So uh, what are some things that we can do to, you know, yes, find a safe space in a non-judgmental place, but at the same time, not find ourselves in an echo chamber where we just get all riled up and we feel even more anxious and more stressed than when we started. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, I think a lot of the anxiety and anger that comes up when we have these conversations with people, uh, even that people that we have common interests for that we're really close to, is feeling not listened to, right? If I feel like you're not listening to me or my point, you're just maybe listening to give me an answer, I'm gonna get defensive. I'm gonna start going, having these negative thoughts and, and my emotions are gonna start staring up. But if I know that you're listening and no matter what I'm saying, you're just taking in all of this and you just want me to express myself, uh, there's less of that feeling defensive a little bit, right? So I'm gonna express myself and then maybe you're gonna comment on it, but maybe you're just gonna validate. I feel like validation is really important. Um, and it's, it's what drives really conversation in one direction or the other. If I'm expressing something to you, even if it's a different opinion or you know, something that really upsets me, if you try you know, to give me a solution right away or you try to you know, come back with an argument or you try to you know, just respond to that right away, I'm probably gonna feel defensive, especially if it's a topic that you know, is close to my heart or a topic that stirs a lot of emotions. But if I do all of this and then you on your end is validating and just, you know, these are simple techniques that we use in therapy, uh, like just rephrasing or summarizing what you just said, or, you know, kind of highlighting maybe the emotion that you're feeling like, hey, you know, Christian, it sounds like you're feeling pretty angry about what's going on. You know, I can, I can kind of see that. This will get you to talk a little bit more about what's going on rather than really feeling like you have to defend yourself or you have to say something else. Um, so really validation is, is key in relationships, um, in listening, because um, that's what we all need. And this is why therapy, you know, 
we, we don't, I don't feel like as therapists, we do much with clients in terms of, I mean, I know we have in specific interventions that we use, but a lot of the time building that rapport, you're going to someone that, you know, you don't know, and you're about to tell them about your deepest secrets and your deepest fears and challenges. Um, so for you to be able to do that, you have to know that this person is going to, is listening to you. And to know that this person listening to you, you have to feel validated. And it's, it's really crucial in conversations. And also, you know, I can, I've, I just can add to that. And sometimes, you know, people, I feel like it's also maybe things that not all of us have the chance to know, right? And it's just expressing to the person like, hey, you know, I've noticed maybe when I, you know, speak to you about a specific topic, you have a tendency maybe to give me a solution or to do that. You know, I think I'll feel better if blah, blah, blah. So using I statements and expressing, telling the people, I think we all learn. Uh, we're not perfect. And, you know, we can all make improvements in how we can support each other, um, you know, in these communities. I don't know if that answers your questions, Christian. <laughs> well, one important thing, one important thing that you, uh, well, actually a couple of important things you talked about were some some different techniques, and I, and I don't use the word pejoratively. I think they're, they're good. Some different ways to communicate more effectively, because I find this in my own situation where, um, you know, there are people that are close to me that are really struggling with finding some hope. You know, they, they're really having a hard time, and, and, you know, I probably am too prescriptive in my communication with them. Well, you know, try doing this, try doing that, and, and maybe that will be, maybe that will be helpful, and maybe what I need to do is just give them that validation that, okay, what I hear you saying is this is how you're feeling and, and, and that's okay to, to be feeling that way. So they don't, actually, they don't actually take my advice that well sometimes because they think I'm being a little bit too prescriptive and trying to solve their problem and maybe what they just need is someone to listen to them. Yeah. And you know, you might, you might see a different result because then you, the person, you know, I think the point of validation is also the person know, every person know what's best for themselves. Uh, and our role is just to support each other into, okay, but by saying all of the expressing yourself, you are also hearing yourself talk and you're hearing yourself say things. So sometimes automatically this will kind of shift the outcome. You know, maybe they'll realize that one of your advice and I think later after the validation can come, hey, you know, have you tried this and this maybe this has worked for me, you know, maybe it will. Um, but also knowing that not specific advice that we give to people might work for us, but might not work for, you know, everyone. The Team Performance Podcast. Adil, we, we're kind of running out of time, but I know when you and I spoke, you had some, some great insights as to just, you know, as I said, your international experience in terms of how we, how we cope with, with stress and how, you know, how we are as a society can help help us overcome uh, you know, some of these mental health challenges and be more resilient. Why don't you share some of those thoughts as we wrap up uh, this morning? Yeah, um, you know, I think definitely going back to that concept of community is finding the community that you feel supported in. And sometimes this is, you know, this could be, um, you know, in your environment, like geographically where you live, um, it could be maybe where you work. I feel like it's definitely easier for therapists to have this community at work because of what we do, right? Uh, but it could be anywhere, right? It's, some people is just going to a yoga studio and then there's people that you meet there that have the same, um, you know, interests. I feel like this society here can be really isolated if, and I've noticed if you don't have maybe friends from high school that you're still friends with or friends from the same 
place that you live at, it's, it can be difficult making new friends because people are at different stages in their life. But finding these people that you have common interests or that you feel safe with, sometimes you don't have common interests, but it's people that you feel a connection with. And putting effort, relationships takes effort, right? There's no relationship that just, just stays the way it is because no one is doing anything. It's being proactive in co-creating that relationship and that connection. Um, and just, you know, reaching out to that community and being around trying around people I definitely think it will make a difference in people's lives um, because a lot of the times people feel they go through some stuff and they feel like well I don't have anyone to share that to right and then they end up maybe using you know drugs or they end up just you know bottling things up and then there's a big event that happened and then they feel really um, down so finding that community wherever it is and even if it's you know it doesn't have to be a huge one it could be two to four people uh, and and sticking sticking to these and putting the effort to continue these relationships. So maybe more three hour lunches. <laughs> definitely, if it's if it's the food is as good as Lebanese food, definitely. But yes. Uh, so so what's it like? What are you doing for these three hours? Because I lived in Italy, and I mean they would have two hour three hour lunches there. Everything shut down. Nobody worked during you know from from noon until three or four, and then they go back to the office like at five until the evening, but everyone's <laughs> together, right? It's definitely not America, right? <laughs> um, you, you know, you, you have appetizers first, so everyone get there and you know, a lot of people are not, don't get there on time, but appetizers, and then there's the main dishes, and then you have the sweets, and then maybe sometimes the hookah. So it takes a long time to finish uh, Lebanese lunch. I mean, but are you guys on your phone or are you talking to each other? There's, you know, people are, I would say definitely now the, the newer generations. I mean, you'll even see grandparents on the phones, right? Um, but definitely people, people are talking, catching up. There's a lot of, um, you know, Le Lebanese culture is very, there's a lot of humor in the culture too. People are very connected. People are very lively. And it's actually a very resilient uh, population because they've been through a lot. Uh, but you know, I was just, I was just going to say that. I mean, there's been so many challenges with in Lebanon, a small country that has, has experienced so many uh, geopolitical, you know, wars and, and economic hardship and you guys, you're coming through it all. Yeah. And you still go to the, you know, you still go to the restaurants and then as you go in, you hear people laughing and talking and, you know, this is definitely something, uh, you know, that I have missed here. Uh, you know, going to restaurants and everyone is just so connected. Uh, but I think, I think right now, you know, if there's a silver lining maybe to this COVID is now people are going to realize that it is important to stay connected to people. Uh, because when you're not, then you just feel like you're on your own, right? Uh, and I don't think I don't think there's that collective vision when you're on your own. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that's the silver lining of it. Well, Khadil, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your culture, and also for taking time to share uh, quite a bit of your your ex your expertise. I really do appreciate it. I learned things today that I can incorporate in my daily life, and so thank you so much for joining our little conversation and enlightening us. If people want to learn more about the work that you're doing uh, in the area of mental fitness or in uh, protecting and providing safe spaces for people, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, so they can reach me out on my email. So it's gonna be first name, is it H-A-D as in David, I-L, 
hadeel.mg uh, at gmail.com. So hadeel.mg at gmail.com. Uh, I do have an Instagram. It's pretty private and it's just a personal one and I'm not a big fan of Facebook, uh, but I'm trying to get back on there for business, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but email, email is a good way. Always uh, really open to, you know, uh, connecting with people and talking on the phone just for whatever. Uh, but thank you so much to both of you. And uh, I have learned a lot too. And I'm pretty impressed by your Lebanese uh, knowing skills, knowledge. So <laughs> this, is, uh, this is amazing. Oh, well, we're so glad to, to have you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and, and I love that you're concerned about compassion fatigue because it's a real thing, right? When you work so hard and helping other people, you have to stop and take care of yourself. So thank you for sharing that and, and so much with, with uh, our listeners today. Thank you so much and uh, have a great day to both of you. Thank you.